Promotional consideration for Growing Greater Philadelphia provided by the Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia. This is the Growing Greater Philadelphia podcast, bringing you more of the interviews and stories from the Growing Greater Philadelphia radio program. Now, here's Matt Cabry. So let me kick off with an official welcome. Good morning, everybody. My name's Matt Cabry, and I'm privileged to lead an organization called Select Greater Philadelphia. We at Select, for those who may not be familiar, we are the business attraction organization for the 11 county neighborhood of Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania. That's what we call the neighborhood. That's what we call Greater Philadelphia. And we're really privileged to be part of our Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia. It's all about bringing new businesses and bringing new jobs to the neighborhood. And our goal is to raise awareness of the business assets that we have in this community. Everything from our transportation infrastructure to our talent, to our quality of life, to the cost of doing business, to our stellar healthcare expertise. And I'm not just saying that because we're gathered at Independence Blue Cross today, because it's true. That's why I'm saying it. So we at Select Greater Philadelphia, if you don't know the team, you'll meet different folks here this morning, Mari and Angie and Megan, and we have other members of our chamber team here as well that can help uh, give you some facts and information as well. We also have a table of information just outside the door, and I point this out for a couple reasons. One is there's two publications out there. One is called At the Heart of Good Business, and the other is called The Guide to Greater Philadelphia. At the heart of good business, it's filled with facts and information that we want all of you to incorporate into your day-to-day nomenclature. So when you're talking about what you do in your particular industry, we want you to weave in conversation about the assets of our business community in the greater Philadelphia region. And those publications will help prepare you for that kind of information. I'm not suggesting you go and make a list of you know, 30 different things. Pick one or two that go beyond cheesesteaks and hoagies and the Art Museum Steps and the Liberty Bell and Rocky, which are all great, but we need to incorporate additional messages about our business community and why this is such a great place to establish and grow a business in the world. There's also a, a bucket of love pins, and I see some of us have already been indoctrinated. We encourage you to spread the love and wear your love pins proudly, so that's our little gift to, to each of you as well. So I have a couple other housekeeping notes that I want to go over. I want to start off with um, a little bit of an understanding of why we're here today. So about three years ago, we actually came up with an idea to tell the stories of the greater Philadelphia region through a television, radio, and podcast program. And by the way, when I talk about greater Philadelphia, we really market the region. We start out by communicating the stories of business success and economic development. And we do it through the ways you would expect the really traditional ones, earned media, paid media, conferences and trade shows, different kinds of uh, social media activities more and more. And that's really what we lead with. So it's a natural segue to think about, so how can we do this in a more unique and definite way? And that's when we reached out to the team at NBC10 and planted this seed of an idea for a program called Growing Greater Philadelphia. And working with Carol Dooling and John Lewis and the team there, They saw this as a great opportunity, and they embraced it. And in December of 17, we had our first 30-minute television program on NBC10. It ran on a Tuesday night at 7 p.m. It preempted Access Hollywood. I know Bruce was very disappointed by that because he always watches Access Hollywood. Uh, But it was really a great launch to a new initiative. And since then, 
the team at NBC10 has produced five 30-minute television programs called Growing Greater Philadelphia that talk about the amazing business successes and economic growth that we're seeing across the region. If you want to watch any of those, they're on the NBC10 Philadelphia website under news. There's a tab that says Growing Greater Philadelphia, and you can get linked to all the programs. It's also on the Select Greater Philadelphia website as well. And I do want to take this opportunity to acknowledge John Lewis, who's standing in the back of the room, because last Saturday night, John was gathered around an events table, and uh, he, on behalf of the NBC10 team and the Growing Greater Philadelphia program, is the proud recipient of a uh, Mid-Atlantic Emmy Award for one of the Growing Greater Philadelphia programs. So, yeah, you're welcome, John. Congratulations. Yeah. I love that because this program didn't really even exist two years ago until you put it all together. So it's one thing to have an idea. It's another thing to actually implement it. And John is the implementer. So thank you for that, John. So in the meantime, season two is about to kick off on NBC 10. And John and the team are hard at work lining up ideas and stories to go into season two of Growing Greater Philadelphia. So if you have ideas, let us know. And uh, we're always looking for great stories to, to package in there. But as season two gets put together, we at Select Greater Philadelphia reached out to our friends at Entercom. And we said, you know, we got this great television program going on. It's quarterly. How do we have a more consistent presence of storytelling about business assets and business growth in Greater Philadelphia? And they said, well, how about we do a radio program? And I said, that's a great idea. That's why I called you guys. <laughs> so we are actually doing a 30-minute radio program on 1210 WPHT. And equally important, we produced that into a podcast, actually a series of podcasts. This morning was actually the 29th episode of Growing Greater Philadelphia on 1210. And equally important, we have, I think it's 87 episodes. So we take the 30-minute program, and there's two or three interviews within each of the 30 minutes. And if you like what you heard in that 10 or 12-minute segment of one of the three segments or two segments in that 30 minutes, well, then you can log on to 1210WPHT.com slash select, and you can listen to the full, you know, 45-minute conversation or the full 38-minute conversation that we had with the individual that we were interviewing who's leading an amazing project or company or initiative in our greater Philadelphia region. So that's kind of the background of why we're actually here today, because this is a recording of our growing Greater Philadelphia radio and podcast program with the team at Entercom and 1210 and Select Greater Philadelphia. And I'm really proud to say that while we've done about, I guess it's about 85 interviews with the team at 1210 with Jared and Elena, this is the first time that we're doing it in front of a live studio audience, if you will. Now, just to be clear, we're not live on the air. Whew, that would be really a lot of pressure, right? So this is all pre-recorded and we'll be able to make edits to the conversation and package it into a really nice story. So I often tell our guests, so Dan, this is for you. If you say something and you really didn't like how you said it, we can say it again. <laughs> so that's a little bit of the backdrop of why we're all gathered. And this leads me to a couple thank yous. Thank you to all of you for getting up early on this Friday morning to be part of this conversation with us. I know a 7.30 call is an early start, a little coffee in Danish to keep us going. And we're here for about the next hour, 90 minutes or so. We expect to wrap up at about 9.30. We'll talk for about an hour. We'll take questions from all of you in the audience. If you have questions, as Dan and I are having our conversation, Maria from our team has a handheld mic, and she can come into the audience and take your question, just like we're on the Maury Povich show. <laughs> I went Maury Povich. I could have gone Phil Donahue, but I'm not sure how many people actually remember <laughs> Phil Donahue. <laughs> 
So I also want to thank and acknowledge again the Entercom team and the 1210 team for, for their partnership in all this. I want to thank a group that actually I don't think is represented here this morning, Green and Spiegel. So Green and Spiegel is a boutique little law firm that has offices over on Delancey Street. They were founded in 1963 up in Canada, believe it or not. They're a Toronto-based law firm, and they opened an office here in Philadelphia about 10 years or so ago because they have an expertise in immigration law. And they love partnering with Select Greater Philadelphia because we're hosting and interacting with guests at an international level all the time. And they are a proud investor of Select. They're also um, a supporter of what we call the Connector Series. And this is a version of our Connector Series where we bring folks together for these kinds of conversations. So Jonathan Grode is the lead for the Green and Spiegel office. And if you wanted to learn more about Green and Spiegel, we're happy to share that with you. Next, I want to thank the team at Independence Blue Cross for their gracious hospitality this morning and working with us. And a special thanks to Dan for carving out time of his busy schedule to be part of this program as well. So thanks to the team at IBC. I think we should give a quick round of applause for Independence Blue Cross. And lastly, I'm really thrilled to introduce a colleague, a friend, a business associate from PNC Bank. Joe Metterchek leads the Philadelphia market for PNC, and coincidentally, he represents Southern New Jersey, Northern Delaware, and Southeastern Pennsylvania. What a great fit for Select Greater Philadelphia, right? So Joe and the team at PNC, they are longtime investors of Select Greater Philadelphia. In fact, they were one of the very first investors of Select Greater Philadelphia. Joe, I don't even think, knows this story, but I was actually part of the team at PNC back when Select Greater Philadelphia was first being formed. It wasn't even called Select Greater Philadelphia at the time. And in the door walks Mark Schweiker, Taki Papadakis, and Hugh Long, and they lay out this vision for this regional business attraction marketing organization. And Gene Canfield and Bill Mills and I were listening intently to this uh, vision that they had. Little did I know that, uh, you know, 10, 12 years later, I'd be part of the team at Select Greater Philadelphia and, and get to know them over that 10-year period really well. So I'm really thrilled to acknowledge and thank Joe and the team at PNC, not only for the support of Select Greater Philadelphia this year, but for the support that they provided Select Greater Philadelphia over the past 15 years. So with that, let's please welcome Joe Metterchek from PNC Bank. Thanks, Joe. But we believe in Select Greater Philadelphia, and like everybody here, we just want to be here to have everybody look at Select Greater Philadelphia and back it like we do. We back the economic engine here, all the business community. We are truly Greater Philadelphia's bank. We've been around since 1865, which is a couple years before I was born. And, then, uh, and, and truthfully, we continue to grow. This is the biggest market for PNC, and if this market doesn't grow, PNC you know, we don't grow as quickly either. So we're committed here. Our roots are here, and um, it's just a great place to be. But I just, you know, we had a, and I'm going to read from the economic survey. There's never been a better time for us to come together as a business community. At the beginning of the month, PNC released the findings of its semi-annual small business owner survey, engages the views of business owners like yourselves. The survey revealed this optimism is running at historic highs. Just under half of the survey respondents described their outlook for the national economy as optimistic. And this is a significant increase compared to spring 2018, when just over a third indicated an optimistic outlook. And closer to home, the survey results found that nearly half the small and mid-sized business owners are optimistic about their own companies. And that's another new high for PNC Bank survey. 
So what we see is that the sentiment regarding the economy and business prospects has never been better. Now that's today. The environment is constantly changing. We can't put a price on the opportunity to come together as we did today, share experiences, and build a strong network of support. But that's only possible through forums like this that Select makes possible. And if your team isn't actively engaged with Select yet, please go see Matt and his team and sign up because uh, this is our future. And uh, Select is providing members with a terrific tool for marketing our region. As it came together with the Amazon, Matt was behind a lot of this. And uh, we needed somebody to be spearheaded along with our business leaders and community leaders, and he's done a great job with it. But uh, these podcasts and just the story, innovative, and bringing it out to light and having it available for everyone. And then Dan, who's just recently taken over the chamber, is a perfect person. Uh, he had his first chamber meeting yesterday, which was great, and just the enthusiasm, and, and I would tell you the inclusion that he brings to us in this region is great. But we all know Dan is the president and CEO of Independence Blue Cross. Be so much more than that. In full disclosure, he is a friend and an accomplished executive in our city. In the past eight years, since Dan took the role of CEO, the company has grown. They're up into 27 states, the District of Columbia, serving 8.1 million people. But he's leading a transformation in the healthcare sector and regionally and nationally, exploring, developing, and implementing innovative technologies that increase the quality and lower the cost of care. When the federal government, when state governments want to find out what, where this should be going, with healthcare is going, they call Dan in, and for good reason. So, who better than to lead today, newly minted chairman of the board for the chamber, to just talk about the growing greater Philadelphia on the radio and podcast. So please join me in welcoming Dan. Come on up, Dan. Thanks, Jeff. Great. So we're going to kick off, folks. Dan, thanks for joining us. Matt, it's great to be here. If I can just say, Joe Metterchek, um, you know, your role at PNC, what you said about independence is true for PNC as well, Matt. Yeah. Wherever there is something worthwhile in the city, you will find PNC. And Joe provides incredible uh, leadership. And in his spare time, he's about to start a new stint as well as chairman of the Finance Committee of the Chamber. And as we know, any finance committee is important to the functioning of any organization. And, very active in select health. That's right. Uh, or select health. Very active in yeah. always thinking about health. That's right. But always active in select Philadelphia as well as uh, the CEO council. So, Joe, thank you for all that you do. So true. Yeah. <laughs> so, Dan, let's start off with a little bit about Dan Hilferty. Tell us a little bit about your background, where you grew up, your family, and, uh, you know, those kind of early years. Well, Matt, my family, the roots are West Philadelphia, and we moved out into Delaware County over the, the last two generations. I'm the youngest of five children. My father died when I was three years old. And uh, one summer, my mother, I guess I was in second or third grade, my mother took us to the Jersey Shore for a week, and we never came home. Right. So I grew up in Ocean City, New Jersey. My first job was washing dishes at the uh, Chatterbox on Ninth and Central. Nice. As you know. Uh, yeah. And came back to Philadelphia to attend St. Joseph's University. And then after, I guess, uh, five years on the road, so to speak, I lived in Portland, Oregon, where I was a Jesuit volunteer in the Jesuit Volunteer Corps. Went to graduate school and worked on the Hill. Went to school at American University. Then came back to Philadelphia and met my beautiful wife, Joan. And we now have five children and, and three grandchildren and live in Ardmore. That's great. 
I want to go back to Ocean City for a moment. Did you actually go to Ocean City High? I did not. There, okay. there was a, uh, a small parochial, Catholic parochial school in Ocean City called St. Augustine. Okay. And I attended St. Augustine, and then you had several, hard to believe, but you had several choices at the Jersey Shore. Yeah, right. There was Especially back then. Back, oh, <laughs> Ocean City High School, uh, Holy Spirit, if you were looking for a Catholic education. And then there was a, an Augustinian prep school, St. Augustine Prep. Okay. And I attended St. Augustine. So when you think back to your time at St. Augustine, and uh, you're a, a sophomore, a junior, a senior in high school, did you have kind of a vision of where you were headed was there um, an aspiration that you were that you were you were you know envisioning? I was always rushing to make it to school before the bell rang. I had almost singular focus on playing basketball, and no, I had no vision of what the future might hold. I will say though, uh, the Augustinians, and regardless of our religious affiliation or non-affiliation, certain things in our education, be it public school, private school, parochial school, others, charter school, religiously related school, you may not think you're picking up tidbits, but for me, although I'm true blue to the Jesuits, the Augustinians, yeah. St. Augustine says something that never should a person be so focused on prayer that they fail to do something for their fellow human beings. And never should a person be so focused on service that they forget the contemplation of the Lord. And, right. and I say that only, again, not to proselytize in any way, shape, or form, but to say at a young age, I think I began to, and it happened there, say, wow, there's a purpose for each of us on this earth, and we better focus on understanding what our value system is, what our true north is. Trust me, I didn't think it this way at age 17. Yeah, but, right. And what's important to us. And I think what that started for me is a journey around understanding where I fit in, like the rest of us, where I fit into this society. But that's a telling insight into, I suspect, how you kind of live today in that you're taking action. You're not just reflecting, whether it's through prayer or other kinds of contemplation. You take action, and we can see that actually in your day-to-day -day activity. It's part of who you are, and it sounds like those seeds were planted back in those early days at St. Augustine. Yeah, I, I would say, Matt, that I wish the prayer part came more easily to yeah. me. It's a struggle, but I do think that quiet reflection mm -hmm. of any sort, whether it be through exercise or yoga or sitting silently or right. listening to music is very important. And for me, that feeds my energy. It feeds my, to the extent that I have it, my intellectual juices, my passions. But I would say that really, really started to take off for me at St. Joseph's. Mm -hmm. Bruce Crawley and I are both graduates of St. now St. Joseph's University. Mm -hmm. and, and it was there sitting in, I was an accounting major. However, in a liberal arts curriculum, you have to take courses in theology, philosophy, history. And it, it for me, the courses that really excited me were the, the philosophy and the theology courses mm -hmm. where folks were, the teachers were talking about things that to me mattered. Right. And I, it was there that I began to think, okay, I, I'm beginning to understand where, where I fit and how I'd like to navigate the next chapter of my life. Sure. And you've kind of touched on this and I want to dive into it a little bit more and that's key influencers. You know, because I suspect with your dad having passed when you were only three and you being the youngest of five, your mom had to be one of those key influencers. My mother was, uh, she passed away about six years ago. Mm. She was all of five foot one. 
and she she was a firebrand. I mean, you didn't mess with my mother, and that started with her own children. It's interesting when the breadwinner passes away at a young age for of a family's cycle, and it's the father in this case. My mother had such a key role, and I didn't really. I thought we had everything that anybody could want and live comfortably. We moved. 11 times now nine times during the time that I was before I went to college but if you count after the college years 11 times wow we would rent houses right and then we would the kids would notice boxes showing up right. and she'd save boxes and we, we'd all know we're moving soon yeah and uh, the day we would move the electrician's truck would show up the plumber's truck would show up the undertaker's truck which is around right in the center of town and then there was a, an uncle of ours that was in the coffee business and mm. his truck would show up and right. they would be there to move my mother right and we'd go to school and as we're walking out she would say uh, today get off the bus at third and central right. and you knew okay we know kind yeah. of where our house is going <laughs> to be. be right and you'd get off the bus you'd walk in that house and she would have although the layout was different your room would be set up as close to Right. You know, and we reflect, we, my siblings and I talk yeah. about this, yeah. we reflect back on that. And she, uh, she instilled in us, you know, you'd wake up in the morning and say, I don't want to go wash dishes at the chatterbox. Right. Go to the chatterbox. Right. Or, you know, I'm not going to work. No, get a paper route. Get this. She, yeah. she was very, very strong-willed around us having a work ethic. But then also, she was our biggest supporter. Right. She never missed a game. She never missed an activity. She, in order to, I come to find out later, to pay the tuition at my high school, she became, with another mother, the librarian. Right. Consequently, I never went to the library in high school. But, uh, right. but that's, that's... You didn't even know she worked there, huh? No, I, <laughs> if I needed money. So, and, and I'm not saying, that's not a woe is me tale. Right. That is a, I am so blessed, fortunate right. to have experienced life in that way. I never knew my father. I've gotten to know him through videos and talking to my older siblings or to relatives or friends of his over the course of decades. Yeah. But she was such a huge, huge influence. And it's something that I watch in my own children, their relationship with their mother. And I'm really fortunate to have a similar situation where, uh, where my wife, Joan, is that same type of influence on each of our children. Right. I really love, Dan, and appreciate the resilience that your mom clearly had and the thoughtfulness, the fact that when you moved and came home and your room was kind of set up as close to what it could possibly be to yeah. keep that sense of um, continuity in your life, which is really important for a young person, whether you realize it or not at the time, that says a lot about her and I suspect clearly has carried over to how you represent yourself and your family as well. Well, it's funny you say that, Matt. It, I don't mean to say it was Pollyanna. There, there, sure. there was, there there was challenges. difficult yeah. challenges. And as my older siblings married and started to have children, they would turn to my mother and my mother would move into their homes. And so I got to tell you, my senior year living almost alone in Ocean City was a great experience <laughs> yeah. and we all face this in our complex lives and in our interactions with family and others sometimes we didn't keep pace with a calendar and right. believe it or not Labor Day 1974 I came home I was running 34th Street Playground in Ocean City if they called me tomorrow I would go back and take that job again greatest job I've ever had and my mother is up in Philadelphia with one of my sisters and the phone rings no cell phones I pick it off the the, yeah. the wall in the kitchen, the long cord, I'm walking around. She said, 
you know, look on the bulletin board, I think you have to go to school today, college. So I go to the bulletin board, sure enough, I thought it was later in the week. <laughs> right. Sure enough, Labor Day, we had to report to school. I quick, I packed like seven shirts, a uh, pair of jeans, a uh, pair of khakis, shorts, basketball stuff, yeah. a basketball and an old stereo um, and drove to school. Wow. So I want to dive into some work stuff in a moment, but before we get there, I do want to think about some other key influencers because you've had a pretty amazing career from St. Joe's on. Are there other key influencers that stand out for you professionally? There are any, any number of them. I, at each work stop, whether it was uh, working in Harrisburg during the Casey administration, had a great deal of respect for Governor Casey and the work that he did and his, his way he lived, the way he lived his life. I would say, in addition to that, every one of the CEOs that I had the good fortune of getting close to taught me something that helped me really build and understand what I can bring, my talents, and frankly, some of my weaknesses. But I'd have to say the individual that stands out, and I could, I could rattle off all those CEOs, uh, Father Nicholas Rashford, then president of St. Joseph's University when I worked there, yeah. Plato Maranakis, the president of Mercy Health System when sure. I worked there, Fred DeBona, and more recently, Joe Frick, when uh, I was getting into running then Health Mercy before I came here to, to Independence. But I'd say there's one individual. I was a very good high school basketball player, but I was not good enough to play at St. Joseph's. It was, it was right. always my dream, but I just, I just wasn't good sure. enough. But I, was, I did a great job on the freshman team. I was captain of the sub-varsity my second year, and I was the last cut my junior year. And the reason I tell this story, there was the freshman coach and sub-varsity coach was a guy, a former player from St. Joe's by the name of Jim Boyle. And Coach Boyle was the first one that, as freshmen, we would meditate before games. And he would invite us over to his house. Now, I'm, I'm just a middle-class kid from Ocean City, and, yeah. and he'd have candles lit in his living room, and he would lead us through a Zen exercise. And can you imagine in 1974, right. that type of thing? I right. mean, I'm like, this guy's a nut. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is, not only did he teach us basketball, not only was he a competitor, he opened my mind to new ways of thinking and to allowing different points of view. He did it to improve our basketball, right. but different points of view to help us see the world in a different way. And his whole thing was maximize who you are. Right. In order to maximize who you are, you need to go on a deep introspective journey to really unearth that. And then from that, whoever you are, whatever you can become, should blossom and will blossom. That's actually a great transition, Dan, to- Matt, can I tell you one yeah, other thing? Yeah, please, yeah. So my senior year, we had the misfortune of a, a couple of players were kicked off the team. So I received a call, would you come back? And right, said, shoot up. Sure, I yeah. ran over to the That's gym. That's like a dream, yeah. yeah. So I, for most of that season, I, I was on the team, never, never played. Right. But I could organize the fun activities after games on, on the web. Right. But and you were ready this, to go. This is back to my mother. Yeah. So we're playing in New York at St. John's University in the Bronx. Yeah. And they were ranked one or two in the country. And of course, I didn't get in the game. And we lost uh, pretty handily to St. John's. And the other guy, got my roommate, a guy by the name of John Wilcox, sitting next to me on the bench, he said, Hilf, they call me Hilf, your mom's in the stands. Hmm. I'm like, no way. 
notes. So I look over, and there she is. She's got glasses down like this, and she's doing a crossword puzzle. Right. Watching, semi-watching the game. So game ends, we lose. Two things happen. One, I go over to see her. She said, I got to go. And she turns around, and she says to me with a big smile, you played a good game. <laughs> I didn't even get in. Coach Boyle, who I mentioned, says to me, and he was always joking with me, he said, uh, there's a reporter from the Daily News that wants to speak to you. And I'm like, stop. He said, no, I'm serious. So sure enough, this reporter, I believe his name was Green, wants to ask me about coming back on the team and what, yep. why and all that. And uh, I, we had a great conversation. I thought, oh, good, maybe I'll get a little line. And the uh, next day, I'm, I'm in uh, some accounting class that I could barely keep my eyes open. And I, there's a knock at the back. You know the little windows in some classrooms? Yeah. There's a knock at the window, and I look up. And one of my buddies is holding the back headline of the Daily News, and it says, Hilferty doesn't play, Hawks don't either. <laughs> it's about me sitting on the bench. <laughs> if only they had put you in. No. That's great. We had some great players. In fact, my best friend, one of my best friends in the world, among three or four of them, is Tom Haggerty, who works at PNC Bank and is uh, one of the greatest players in Sanchez history. So. That's great, yeah. I want to go back, Dan, to kind of the influence that Coach Boyle had on you back in 1974, that contemplation, reflection, meditation experiences, if you will. Because when you graduate from St. Joe's, you head on out to Portland, Oregon. Tell us about what you were thinking and what that experience was like. Well, I think it starts, Matt, with I really... I still am not a great practicer of those things that I mentioned. Meditation, mm. uh, my children are into yoga, I can't make my body do some of those things, yeah. um, but I work at it. So I, I would like to tell you that I was on a, some type of inner journey when I went out there. I knew as things came together for me that I, I wanted to do something in communities. I wanted to be of service and I didn't want to start my career yet. I didn't know what I wanted my career to be. And so I applied for the Jesuit Volunteer Corps. You pick sections of the city, but you don't pick where you are headed or where you're going to work. And I ended up uh, going to Portland, Oregon, and I uh, ran a St. Andrew Community Center in the inner city of Portland, an area called the Albina District of Portland. Mm. But in those days, it's since been gentrified, but in those days it was Caucasian, Hispanic, African-American, American Indian, Filipino, all thrown into this, into this community, and it had significant, significant problems. And you lived with other volunteers, Jesuit volunteers, and it was, not only did you do your job, but you, you got to know the region, you got to travel a little bit. So for me, that solidified that whatever path direction I went in in the future, it would involve being involved with people in a community. Right. And, and I've, in one way or the other over the years, I've stayed fairly true to that. Uh, and it's a neat thing as I look back. And you pick things up along the way. Uh, I, at St. Joseph's University, we started a program that I barely got involved with. I, I did it my senior year called the Hand in Hand Festival. They still mm -hmm. may do it. They would bring in mentally handicapped mm -hmm. uh, individuals or those with other disorders. And each student, each St. Joe's student would be assigned one young person for the day. 
and there was a carnival atmosphere and face painting and pony riding mm -hmm. and all those types of things. And at the time, it, it received some widespread acclaim. So I can remember as I, and I got to know, because I could play basketball, I got to know the young people in the community really well. Right. And consequently, I could go anywhere in the community. But that was mainly a small part of the Caucasian community, but a large part of the African-American community. So I began talking to these kids about how can we do something beyond basketball? And we together came up with the idea, well, let's do a hand-in-hand -hand festival hmm. in Portland, Oregon. So we got in touch with the city, and I, these young people helped do it. So they'd come, we'd play basketball, and then we would talk. They went to City Hall with me. We went to get some money together to do it. We went to the agencies that oversaw the, these different folks with disabilities. And we invited people from the community, like the St. Joseph students, to be the partner for the day. And all over the campus, we set up a carnival, everything I mentioned before, and really, really took off. It yeah, was great. great, and I wasn't out, out front talking about it. The young people that were in the gym playing basketball all, every day were the ones trumpeting this program. Right. And about 25 years later, I get a call from, yeah, it's 20, it was probably 20, 25 years later, I get a call from one of my friends who was also a Jesuit Volunteer Corps member who was on city council. And he called me, he said, remember? In, in Portland. Yeah, remember those machines? They weren't, it wasn't a fax, even before fax machines, it was, anyway, it would, yeah. it would spit this out. He said, hey, do you have one of those at work? What's the number? Yeah. And he sends me a proclamation from the city of Portland huh. announcing that that day every year would be designated hand-in-hand -hand festival day. Very cool. And I hope, I lost track of all these young people, yeah. but I hope somewhere in Portland, when they read that or heard about it or saw that, they knew yeah. that that was theirs. Yeah, So that's great. I just got chills, actually, Dan, no, seriously, because no. you know when you, as I, I often say this, it's one thing to have an idea. It's another thing to actually implement it and see it come to life, and for it to have an impact for 25 or more years now is really significant. Yeah. It's got to be a satisfying component, and to your point, you rallied the team to do it, and they're the ones who implement it and help that, bring it to what, life. That's what you do every day with Select Health. I mean, and we should not lose focus, and I'm sorry to Get into nah, that's okay. that's we should okay. not lose focus as a business yeah. community, as a civic community, as a community at large, uh, including our elected and appointed officials, the significance right. of us being a finalist for Amazon's headquarters too. Yeah. We are a world-class city, and that's because the leadership that you provide, the rest of the team at the chamber, and folks like John Grady at PIDC, members of council, Mayor Kenny, we are putting our best foot forward, and it's the For same sure. thing about getting people excited about putting a program together like the Hand in Hand Festival. Right. It's getting enthusiasm, it's building bridges to different areas of the community as you have done. And by the way, we may or may not win Amazon, but we will win the next one, yep. and we will grow the next Amazon from within because of the environment that Select Health, led by you and the entire chamber, has brought to, to the region. I appreciate that, Dan, thank you. And I wanna actually use this as a time to pivot because, you know, folks, after Dan had this experience in Portland, he went on to earn a master's degree in public administration at American University, and then ultimately came home to Philadelphia, as he mentioned, and established his, his career and his family here. But why I'm bringing this up, and, I, and this is a part that I really admire, not just with Dan, but with others, you appreciate Greater Philadelphia and the assets we have in a way that is more unique because you did live in Portland, Oregon, because you did live in Washington, D.C., 
and your career has taken you around the world to experience other cultures, other environments. And we often, and the reason I'm so passionate about this, we oftentimes take all the wonderful things we have in the greater Philadelphia region for granted because we don't necessarily know what it's like in other parts of the world. For those of us who may not have had a chance to, to live in other parts of the world or experience those other aspects. So it's a really um, unique perspective that you can bring because of your broad-based perspective and think about ways that we can continue to enhance and promote the greater Philadelphia community and specifically our business assets. So where I wanna go with this, speaking of business, is to talk a little bit more about independence. How do you describe both the Independence Health Group and Independence Blue Cross, which I suspect most of us really think of Independence Blue Cross as our hometown health insurer, but it's so much more than that, and the Independence Health Group is a big part of it. So, Mac, just to lead into that, if I could set the stage, just yesterday, there's a group called the Health Evolution Summit, and they hold meetings mainly in the healthcare space, programs around the country. Every year, they have a big event in Southern California. Through the efforts of our senior VP, Marcy Feldman Ross, mm-hmm. they agreed to start these regional health evolution summit mm. sessions. They were in this room yesterday. Mm. 50 executives at different levels of different companies, not just in healthcare, but primarily in healthcare, were in this room. I say that because we consider this Independence Live as a window to Philadelphia. I right. mean, look around, you see how our streets look, you, you see the vibrant atmosphere that yeah, we have. Totally. And to a person, they commented to me about, we didn't know. One, said, one person said to me, I remember coming to Philadelphia, it was a quiet little place, and, yeah. and now I come back. Uh, I want to get on one of your Indigo bikes and ride around. I want to stay a few extra days. There's a buzz here. There's a feel here. So now pivoting to, I love the term pivot. You've used it as well. To Independence's role in that. And both from a civic perspective, and I will get to the the structural, how we're structured. But from a civic perspective, we believe it's part of our mission. Our focus every day is focus on the individual, the family, the community, to help people navigate the health system, get the coverage, the appropriate coverage they need, the appropriate care they need at the time they need it, and help them get well and stay well wherever possible. So one of the things that we are committed to is if there is something in the community that does just that, that promotes healthy living, we are there. And we fight to be one of the lead sponsors and investors, whether it's through corporate dollars or through the Independence Foundation, which uh, Steve Farah and Lorena Marshall-Blake oversee, we are there. And it's kind of that whole message that everywhere you turn, if you look at a bicycle, you will see us. If you need to, at the worst time in your family's life because someone is sick, if you can pull that card, mm-hmm. that independence card out of your pocket and know that you are in a medical home, know that you'll have access to any doctor within region that you need it, any specialist, any facility. Yeah. By the way, we're not perfect. Right. And our customers remind us right. regularly that we're not perfect. <laughs> right. But the truth of the matter is, we're about building that web. And so the story of independence is this. The blues, there are 36 Blue Cross Blue Shield plans across the country. We have designated areas where we can use our Blue Cross and Blue Shield. For us, we're just a Blue Cross plan. Blue Shield traditionally contracts with physicians, Mm -hmm. 
we contract with the facilities, and then we partner to contract with physicians. So when you look at what's happened with healthcare, these large mega organizations, a United Healthcare and their subsidiary Optum, a Cigna, Humana, we realized that if we were going to compete, we needed to get out of our own five-county area. Well, we couldn't do that with a branded product. We couldn't be Independence Blue Cross outside of five-county, so we came up with the name Amara Health about close to 20 years ago, I would say. Mm -hmm. And we began to build unbranded subsidiaries and spread them throughout the country. And as Joe mentioned, we're in 27 states in the District of Columbia. And we do everything from third-party administrative services. Uh, We have one of the largest Medicaid managed care companies in the country, Amarillo Caritas, which is a phenomenal company. We have all sorts of ancillary services. We have a product line in New Jersey, AmeriHealth New Jersey. We're about to launch, we've done a soft launch, but a, a hard launch, so to speak, next week or two weeks from now with Comcast. We've created a company which we're calling now 1819. Hmm. And we're calling it 1819 because our offices are on 19th Street, their offices are on 18th Street. Gotcha. But we'll announce the name in a week or so. And think of it this way. Wherever Comcast does business through cable Mm -hmm. or through the internet or through entertainment or through all the other things they do, we will develop the content, we will develop the video, we will develop the interaction where we can educate members, we can help them navigate the system, we can bring a doctor to an elderly home through the TV to examine an incision from a surgery. We can remind seniors who live in the Philadelphia area and they see it on TV to take their blood pressure medicine and out in Chicago or San Francisco where their daughter and a son live, they're getting the same message on Mm -hmm. their handheld app and immediately pick up that phone and say, mom, dad, did you take your medicine? So we're using Comcast's incredible distribution channel all the tools, technology, and services that we provide, and we're gonna spread them out, not only through five county, we're gonna start in five county, but anywhere the Comcast goes, we will do that. And it's much like what Amazon and some of the other disruptive forces in the industry are doing. So in order to A, survive, B, prosper, we realized we have the strong mission to serve our customers, but we needed to diversify, both by portfolio of businesses and geography. And we've done that successfully, but we couldn't do it under the independence or the Amar Health. So we came up with a name that was not only acceptable to the regulators in Pennsylvania, because we are Pennsylvania-based, tax-paying, not-for-profit. We pay every corporate tax, Mm. with the exception of a small break in Pennsylvania that any other of our competitors pay. we came up with Independence Health Group, and it also, from a blue branding perspective, was successful. Yeah. So, and we, provides we, continuity. Yeah. That's why we, instead of saying Independence Blue Cross all the time, right. we use Independence, because yeah. it can speak to the health group, which is the overarching corporate structure, holding company, and then the various subsidiaries that fit under it. I really appreciate the example you gave of the partnership with Comcast. And I know you historically, and even more so today, are passionate about collaborating and partnering and thinking differently. And the technology that we have in our society today is really limitless in terms of what we can accomplish. 
but it's bringing together those kinds of folks that are thinking like that and wanting to collaborate. And this notion of impact and collaboration and innovation that all tie into, you know, independence isn't just processing claims, which I think a lot of people historically have thought about that, but you're really providing solutions and you're increasing the quality of care and the access of care at a lower cost. How important is that? And did you ever think this is what you would be doing, you know, when you started back at Keystone Mercy, now AmeriHealth Caritas, back in the mid-90s? It's funny you ask that question, Matt. My, uh, my wife, Joan, was interviewed for a video. I received some recognition or award at my alma mater, St. Joseph's, and the moderator asked her the same question on, right. on video. He's a smart guy. He's a smart guy. <laughs> <laughs> and and her, her response was, I tell my kids all the time, if somebody said to Dan when he was 25 or 30 that he would be health insurance executive, he would have said, no way. Right. And I, I never thought of it. Right. It just was the, the flow of a stream. I followed this thing and tried to stay true to what I thought of my true north, my core values. Yeah. And in doing that, regardless of the stops I've had along the way, there's been components that are consistent with those values. And so it gets to the point you make about people may think we just pay claims or right. you get this bill every month. But let me respond to you through an example. Mm -hmm. Philadelphia, one of the largest metropolitan areas in the country, is among the top five, maybe even the top three in terms of overall healthcare costs. Now, part of that is for good reason. We have some of the most incredible healthcare institutions in the world right here. Penn Medicine, Children's Hospital of Philadelphia, Temple, Jefferson, and many, many more that are world-class. Cooper over in New Jersey. So when you have these large tertiary and quaternary facilities, comprehensive facilities, they're gonna cost more. Right. So you have to start with that. Then you throw on top of that pharmaceuticals. The truth of the matter is these amazing drugs are saving people's lives, but they cost in research, they cost in development, they spend a ton of money on advertising. That's a cost that is not only borne by the consumer, but by the facilities that administrate or clinicians that administrate them. So we started through our, what we call facilitated health networks, mm. a program to only pay for value, no more fee for service. We decided to find a partner that would be ready with the technology, with the informatics, with the capabilities to work with us to create what we called a value-based contract, Hospital University of Pennsylvania. So the basic rate structure in some cases is reduced. Hmm. That's a first, right. that's a first across the industry. But we built in partnership components using real-time data to tell a story about each individual patient member. And here's an example of it. One component is, Penn Medicine believes, we believe that a person in most cases can be better cared for, better served in the home environment or near home environment outside the classic inpatient hospital facilities. So Penn put their money where their mouth is. Mm -hmm. They agreed with us working together if there were readmissions within 30 days, all cause readmissions up to 30 days, they would cover the cost of that. So weren't they incentivized to make sure we could keep people in the home, have a nurse practitioner, have a home healthcare person, have the data in front and think of this Comcast venture when somebody in the home, we can talk to them via their television, their handheld device, their iPad, whatever it might be. 
in the first year, and we're about to, I don't want to steal the thunder of this, but yeah. we're about to announce there are tens of millions of dollars of savings, and we know far better outcomes for people who wow. might have rushed back to the emergency room, but instead they're being cared for it in the home setting. Right, right. And a much more cost-effective, but equally important, if not more, in a much more focused, personal approach that's yes. providing better outcomes. That's really great. And that's another good pivot point, Dan, because, and I don't want to get too nuanced here, and I want to be respectful to Joan, your wife, when she uses this description, and others put you in this category as well, when you referenced healthcare executive. I don't think of you as a healthcare executive. I don't know how many people actually look at Dan Hilferty and say, healthcare executive. You're really innovating, you're thinking differently, and you're inspiring your team here to also think differently and be empowered to come up with solutions that maybe 15, 20 years ago, it wasn't the mindset, if you will, of a corporate health insurer. So it's really evolved yeah. into a whole new space. And, and where I'm going with this is, you just recently completed a term two years serving as the uh, chair of the National Blue Cross Association, I think is the yes, right term. Yes, Blue Cross Blue Shield Association, yeah. yes. And as a Philadelphian, as someone who could bring your experience throughout your career to that kind of role, what was that like for you and, and what did you learn? So let me go back to the earlier part of your question yeah. and build to that. I'm not a clinician. I don't like blood. Right. right. <laughs> I have... Fear, I'm claustrophobic. If I have to get an MRI, I've told my primary care doc I will not go in an MRI. There right. are these new open MRIs. Put me in that thing. So my point is, um, yeah, it's a good thing you're healthy. <laughs> <laughs> so I am unlikely in that regard. But when I talk, going back to as I began to consider who I was, I, I realized two things. One, like each of us in this room, like you. I have a set of gifts and talents, and I think one of my key gifts and talents is a set of one, two, and three. The first one being I can bring people together for whatever reason. Yeah. I can bring people together. The second one is my gifts are I can think of exciting, innovative things at a certain level. Mm -hmm. And then you need people with other skills other sets, maybe a clinician yep. who likes blood, who doesn't mind going an MRI. I'm just right. sure. using that half in jest. And others with skill sets that if they capture at this surface, this kind of maybe sometimes harebrained vision mm -hmm. and run with it. Yeah, bring it to life. And they get energy. They feel like a leader. They feel part of something special. And then as it comes to fruition, as it becomes reality, everybody shares in the glow of the success. And so what I'm saying is I have gifts, but I realize I have real deficiencies and I have real limitations mm -hmm. in certain areas. And I think for any leader, whether it be in healthcare or any other spaces, understanding what your gifts are and owning them. Owning them, be confident in them, in fact, brag about them mm -hmm. and capitalize on them but also be honest about your shortcomings and the gifts that you don't possess and allow others into that meeting or that space yeah. to let their gifts come to life. And to complement yours. Yes. That's great. Yes. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Again, I, I hope you've picked up from this. I'm an extremely competitive person. I mean, Joan, like we'll be leaving a party in separate cars and she said, don't race home. But I... <laughs> great. I, See you at home. But... The point I want to make is 
as we were building the Independence Health Group with all the family of companies into something special, we realized we needed to differentiate ourselves. Bruce Crowley, again, is a key member of our board. Mm -hmm. The board was very helpful in saying, you want to be an innovator, let's set up a fund. Our CFO, uh, Greg Devins, oversees a fair amount of money, significant amount of money, that we decided we will either develop, partner, or invest in innovative technologies, mm -hmm. innovative services, innovative ways of impacting the healthcare of our members. But it only goes so far from a regional basis. We believed as a team, and the board encouraged this, that in order to get a national profile in my role, I had to be active at the national level. So anytime the industry was invited to go to the White House, I fought my way into the room, or someone fought for me to get into the room. Over the course of my eight years, I've met with presidents twice in the Oval Office, the others in the Roosevelt Room, once in the Rose Garden. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Eight times. Nice. And not includes, bad for a kid from Ocean staff. City. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> I got to fight. Well, no, I'm not going to tell any stories. <laughs> but the point I'm making, yeah. a likely place to get a national profile for Independence Health Group was this association of blues. The blues together cover almost 108 million. One third of the U.S. population carries a blue card. Wow. So, of course, you want to be in a leadership position. Sure. And it was that same set of gifts or skill sets. I, I started my first week on the job. I picked two or three other CEOs during the course of a three-day board and committee meetings, and I'd have a drink with them. Yeah. Or I'd say, hey, can you meet for breakfast? I want to learn. Yeah. And so gradually, I was, I was, it was a campaign. I was yeah. building, yeah. building towards this and ultimately became the natural selection for the position. Right. At a time when healthcare reform was center stage, it's still not complete, far from complete, right. but it benefited first and foremost us as an organization and the millions of people we serve. Yeah, that's great. Dan, shifting gears on you, earlier this month, you became chair of our Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia. What does that mean to you, and what do you think we can accomplish as a region through our chamber, working with our members and working with our chamber? So, Matt, first of all, let's talk about Philadelphia, the region, for a second. Yeah. And I have five kids ranging from 32 to 21. That's scary, huh? It is scary. But <laughs> my point is, to a person, with the exception of my one daughter who will not leave Ocean City, they are focused on being part of what's going on in Philadelphia. And I think that's representative of all the incredible things that are happening here. You cannot drive down a street without seeing a crane. You cannot go past the Navy Yard or other areas and not see growth. The neighborhoods that are growing from Northern Liberties moving up into Kensington, North Broad Street, mm -hmm. South Broad Street, University City into West Philadelphia, every pocket, there's growth. Yeah. People are coming back. It's the buzz our visitors saw here in Philadelphia yesterday. So what did we say when Pope Francis was coming and then the DNC and then the Philadelphia is having a moment? Yes. We're having a moment that has turned into a movement. And I firmly believe that. The work that you and others did around Amazon is prime example. Yeah. And when my predecessor, John Fry, stood up at his first chamber meeting, the annual meeting, mm -hmm. and talked about we must become a world-class city, I 
got shivers. Yeah. I felt that's right. That's yeah. where we need to be. And his incredible leadership over the last two years. So from my perspective in that environment, just like having an opportunity to lead the Blue Cross Blue Shield Association, be active in the goings on of government, working in the community of Portland, Oregon, to build this community center to what it later became and to get the community involved, what better place to do that than the Chamber of Commerce of Greater Philadelphia? Yeah. Working with Select Health, working with the CEO Council. And so here's how I look at it. What I said at the annual meeting was there are any number of priorities. If you're interested in the arts, the Chamber's for you. If you're interested in, in economic development, the Chamber's for you. If you're interested in having a collaborative conversation with other business leaders, whether small business to large corporations, and what we have to remember is 54% of the jobs in this region, small businesses. And so what better way to impact the community, and I'm not gonna be bashful about this, help the mission of Independence That's Health true. Group, Independence sure. Blue Cross, yeah. and be chair of the chamber. Yeah. And so what I said at that meeting was, for me, that I look at this as there are three priorities that I'm gonna to try to help support Rob Wonderling and the great team at the chamber mm -hmm. in getting done. The first one is Grow PA, right. because if you combine the strengths of Chamber of Greater Philadelphia, the State Chamber, the Allegheny Conference, the Pittsburgh Chamber of Commerce, and other, I think we've got to get better at including the African American Chamber of Commerce, mm -hmm. because we have much in common. Mm -hmm. So Grow Philadelphia was an opportunity for all of us across the state, and is an opportunity to develop a common agenda to bring to the governor, to bring to our legislators. We're focusing in three categories yeah. on nine legislative initiatives, from infrastructure to economic development slash business-friendly yeah. legislation and policy, and finally focusing on things like energy and other key areas. Yeah. Well, together, we're gonna to go to Harrisburg as a chamber right. and as a group of chambers to deliver this message. Yeah. If we have a strong Pennsylvania, we have a better chance of having a strong greater Philadelphia region. That was number one. Yeah. Number two, this whole idea that I get a little, and we're all competitive or we wouldn't be in the positions we're in, I'm tired of hearing about Silicon Valley. I'm yeah. tired of hearing about Boston and, and the tech boom right. there, Austin and other places. You know where the heart of innovation, particularly healthcare innovation should be? Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Not only should it be. It's becoming. That's right. It's becoming. That's and right. so we're going to trumpet that. Yeah. And I think I am a good ambassador because of the experience that I have to do that. But we all came together, put a little money in the pot, mm -hmm. and develop a strategy around precision medicine, around health innovation in general. Think of those fine institutions that I've mentioned, these incredible scientists, these incredible clinicians, these incredible entrepreneurs. Well, we're going to create, continue to create an right. environment where not only do we help them grow and prosper, but where we attract business by business, idea by idea, innovative new business from all over the country and all over the world. And I believe as this thing develops, your role at Select yeah. Health will become a lot easier because not only is it the vibrant restaurant business, not only is it now the vibrant convention and visiting not only are hotels at record capacity, not only are we able to attract world-class events like the visit of Pope Francis, yeah, like the Democratic NFL National Convention. Yeah. By the way, Democratic National Convention, first convention in years that not only broke even, 
but finished with a surplus. And that's because Philadelphia stepped up. Made it happen. So right. I, I'm sorry, I yeah, get no, excited about this. Yeah, and so yeah. that second one, <clears throat> and then the third mm -hmm. one, I think is foundational to everything. Yeah. We in the chamber need to be about building bridges. So I, was, I chaired my first board meeting of the chamber yesterday. Mm -hmm. A number of you were there. Thank you uh, for your support and all that you do. But we were fortunate to have Governor Wolf there. And of course, it is election season, so you invite Governor Wolf, he's, he's going to come. But after his, his remarks that I thought were really spot on yeah. about what's happening in our region, I asked the governor a question. I said, Governor, if you're fortunate enough to get a second term, what can you do, what will you do to begin to break down this gap between the parties? This, not only this gap, but this environment where people won't talk to each other, where people say angry things about each other, where compromise is a bad word. How will you break that down? I thought his, his, his message was a message that I'm going to steal. Mm -hmm. And by the way, this is the last time I'm giving him credit for it. <laughs> he said, think of our society in terms of Venn diagrams. Uh, city council is one Venn diagram, although there are many different members. The mayor is a Venn diagram. The business, the local businesses, 60th Street, 52nd Street, North Broad, South Broad, mm -hmm. Queens Village, up into Kensington, up into Northeast Philadelphia, wherever you go, different Venn circles. And then the business community. Yeah. And then the civic community. Right. And then the neighborhoods at large. If you think of those Venn circles intersecting at different points, we all remember this from high school math, I think it was high school. Yeah. Let's focus on those things that we have in common. And let's begin the dialogue there. And then let's show each other how we can overcome our differences. And I maybe I shouldn't, but I'm going to anyway. Let's think about this pending legislation and, and this movement in council around two-week schedules for workers so that they know in advance what days have to go to work. And life is easier. I know when I have to be at work. You all know when you have to be at work or not. So think of it from a council member's position for a second. And this is where the Venn diagrams intersect. Right. The council member understands that there's a single mom who has two kids who needs to know when she has to be at work at the local grocery, she has to plan her life. So let's, I'll use that as an example. Right. And it's unwieldy when do I know when I have to get daycare? Do I know when I have to drop my kid off school? Do I know when I have to be at work? So think of it from that perspective. Right. There's value to it. Yeah. You can get, and, and we th if we think the good intentions by council members, let's start there. Right. We as a business community don't disagree with that. Right. But maybe if we sit down, and let's use uh, councilwoman. I lived in West Philadelphia, 47th and Baltimore, mm -hmm. for the three years before I got married. I used to take the 1334 trolley into, into Center City all the time. Janie Blackwell, and before her, Lucian Blackwell, yeah. held the council seat. So let's take the 52nd Street quarter. So most of the businesses are small businesses. And it would benefit anyone that works in those small businesses to understand, to have predictability around the work schedule. Right. But what if we sat down, we brought all the businesses from that region, our members, members of the African American Chamber of Commerce, member of other chambers of commerce, yeah. and we sat down with Councilwoman Blackwell and said, Janie, look, I don't even know if Janie's involved in this or not. I'm sure. just using it as an example. Sure. Okay, we understand around predictability. Together, let's explain to you 
the negative impact that it has on a business. Right. The reporting requirements, the bureaucracy, the paperwork. Yeah. We could come to a solution yes. that makes it more predictable right. and gets to the heart of what a particular council person is start trying to achieve, yet it isn't detrimental to a business environment right. that and grows and attracts. I really appreciate that perspective, Dan, because it's about coming up with solutions. So let's identify the problem and then let's work collectively to come up with the solution. And I think sometimes that's what potentially is missing in the dialogue when legislators are working in a more siloed approach. And what you're describing is let's get together as a community, academic, business, civic community with our legislators to come up with that solution. So Matt, let's take a look at the whole debate over the construction tax. Right. Uh, what was it, one or two percent? Yeah, yeah. one percent so tax, yeah. It provided an opportunity for us as a chamber to engage in a collaborative discussion with the Philadelphia area building trades, which I mentioned at the annual meeting is, you know, our agendas aren't always the same, but it's one of the most effective, if not the most effective, building trades council in the country. We came together as a group. The chamber and the trades issued a joint statement saying, this is bad business policy. Right. But we recognize the need to find revenue to get into fair housing, find revenue to build communities. So we all sat down. I was not at the table, right. but I mean that in a general collective. way, yeah. collective way, and came up with a solution yeah. that will provide the revenue for the mayor's vision, Council President Clark's vision, to really, really do something special in the communities. Yeah. That's a great example. Yeah. Folks, we have time for about two or three questions. If anybody has a question from the floor, if not, I have like 37 more to go. Just kidding. As you're thinking about your question, I want to turn, oh, here we have uh, one right here in the front row. If you could share with us your name and, and your question, that'd be great. I'm Kenyatta James. I run a media strategy firm called James Grant Design. We're right over on Arch. My question is about innovation, because independence is doing some really amazing things with innovation, and I don't know that people always think of healthcare as the most innovative field. How did you create the conditions for innovation as an executive in a large established company that allowed for this type of thinking? Because it's something that a lot of corporations struggle with, big and small. And it's really on leadership to be able to create conditions that allow for innovation, that allow for mistakes. I'm just curious what your strategy uh, I, was. Thank you for That's asking great. that question. And what is your first name again? I'm sorry. Kenyatta. Kenyatta. No, no, thank you very much. So, Kenyatta, here's the thing. And again, Bruce can confirm this. I followed two dynamic, in my opinion, bigger than life CEOs. And I wish I could tell you I was brimming with confidence about my ability to be successful. I wasn't. Again, I went back to my gifts and my talents, but I realized that as great as the culture that we've had traditionally at Independence was, we needed a change in thinking. We needed to be less of a hierarchical, top-down company. And so I thought, here's how I'm going to attack this. We came up with a, a group of rules of the road, because one thing I noticed I could say the stupidest thing on earth related to the topic, and nobody would say, Dan, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> right. So we created through what we call the rules of the road, and every associate, many, a number here today, we're aware of these rules of the road. And the key ones are that we're going to encourage respectful disagreement across levels, across mm -hmm. areas of the company. It's not a perfect science. 
but we began to open, like many companies have, shift a very strong, great culture to the next level of everyone participating, everyone feeling valued. And I remember the first time one of my colleagues said just that, Dan, that might be the dumbest idea I've ever heard. I wanted to hug him. <laughs> because there was a moment of quiet in the room and then all of a sudden we're firing back and forth ideas and types of things. So first thing was cultural. Creating a culture where we're in a fight here. We've got competitors who are well-equipped, well-heeled, significant capital. How do we distinguish ourselves? So we got rid of the, the ropes that bind us to traditional way of thinking. That's first and foremost. Second, as I mentioned earlier, you need money. So we went to the board and said, look, we want to be a more innovative company. We want to create an environment where we can bring entrepreneurs in or businesses in, invest in them, that change the way healthcare is delivered. The board said absolutely. And every time we have a successful year, our CFO, Greg Devins, goes to the board and says, okay, we think we can put this much money into our independence foundation that does great works, but we can put this much into finding innovative ways, better ways to do our business, either through partnership, investing on our own and building the talent from within, or going out and purchasing. So it's those steps. And then year after year, we as a management team are judged or we are compensated based on our ability to bring, in part, on our ability to bring these types of initiatives to fruition. In addition to, we as a company want to be reflective of the communities we serve. So we have a committee of the board that focuses on diversity and inclusion. Again, Bruce Crawley is the chairman of that committee. So we're bringing in as many different perspectives, as many different vendors, as many different partners, as many different organizations or companies that reflect the communities we serve. Again, not a perfect science, but we're getting the best and the brightest of a diverse group of people, regardless of what neighborhood, what community, what's important to them, who they are as an individual. And the more that you have in the room pulling the oars in the same direction, the greater chance of being innovative, inclusive, and accomplishing the goals of the company. That's great. Kenyatta, thanks for that great thanks, question. Kenyatta. Yeah. We have uh, one more question right here, I think, from this uh, young man. Yeah, I'll throw okay. one in. Yeah. Uh, Dan, either at independence or on the chamber level, are there any initiatives or changes that you'd like to see happen next year or that you, you're kind of champion? In the well, Craig, first of all, I appreciate you skipping the gym this morning to come to this session. <laughs> I think that's but I'd have to say, you know, when you get involved in one of the committees as you're active or get involved in an issue that's of importance to you, you, you know, if you think of the, the chamber as an elephant in a sense, you know that portion of the elephant that you're interested in and you try to make that part of the elephant move forward. I've had the chance for the first time, I'm embarrassed to say, to get a comprehensive view of what the chamber does. Pretty amazing stuff mm. in each of the categories. So to answer your question, I would put it in that last building bridges category. And at the meeting yesterday, what I said was, we need to become more active in the shaping of public policy in the political process. And I'm not the only one. I'm echoing what a number of chamber members are saying. And again, it's about finding those things we have in common with elected and appointed officials and working with them to help them achieve their goals, but also 
have the elected officials clearly understand that we are concerned about a pro-growth agenda that is inclusive and that takes into account their issues, but we are gonna be a force in the political process. And so I would say it's not a change because we're collectively pretty active in that regard, but I would like to be part of a movement, if not lead the movement, to coalesce us in a way that sends a message, let's work together on the left hand, let's, let's do things together, but on the right hand, we're a force to be reckoned with. And so come to the table, we'll come to the table, but we're a force to be reckoned with. So, so Dan, I have two fine point wrap up questions that are related but distinct. Share with us, and they're aspirational by the way, share with us where will Independence Health Group, Independence Blue Cross be in the next three, five, 10 years from now? Thank you for asking that question. Just to put it in perspective, we're currently the fourth largest blue in the country. And that places us within the top 10 of all health insurers in the country, roughly the top 10. When you think of healthcare as being 20% of gross domestic product, there are a lot of folks who are not in healthcare that think they have an opportunity, that they have solutions, rightfully or wrongfully, and they're gonna enter into the marketplace. Amazon, Comcast, partnering with us. There are many disruptors. There's new, unique partnerships. What independence is and will continue to become is a diverse set of interlinked businesses, services, and technologies that will continue to expand across the country and it will grow exponentially as we not only develop the business strategy around the 1819, the Comcast Independence Venture, but begin to expand that throughout the country. Independence will recognize as an innovative leader in healthcare. We will be recognized over the course of the next three to five years as the lead innovative healthcare company in the country. And I would say to you, Matt, obviously yeah. there's and non-disclosure agreements and those type of things. Sure. Stay tuned. Yeah. Because it's going to be rapid fire of new relationships, new partnerships that get us to that point. And what I really admire about this as well, and I think others do too, is it's all happening right here in greater Philadelphia. Your vision and the team's vision at Independence Health Group is taking shape right here in greater Philadelphia, which is my next question, which is um, when you think about the neighborhood of Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, Southeastern Pennsylvania, where do you see greater Philadelphia in the next three to five to 10 years? I liken what is happening in Philadelphia to what's happening at Independence Health Group. Yeah. We will grow exponentially. We will continue to grow exponentially. We have to overcome. Still there's issues that we need to overcome. We will see more and more young people flocking to the region and I would say to the city and they will demand education opportunities and we as leaders will need to help come up with those solutions. You will continue to see cranes. You will see the next Amazon, if not Amazon H headquarters. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tongue twister. And you will continue to see the expansion of great staple companies like Comcast, like SAP, like Vanguard, like Wawa, like Amerisource, Bergen, and many, many mm -hmm. more. And you will continue to see these incredible scientists and clinicians in our great healthcare institutions continue to develop cutting edge 
immunotherapy and other types of cures that will set Philadelphia apart. Not to mention, and Matt, you may know the statistic, I forget it, we talked about yeah. it this, this summer. Think of all the great schools we have here. Yeah. World-class schools of all ilks. Yeah. And we used to have what was called the brain drain. Right. Folks would come to Philadelphia and go to a Penn, go to a Temple, go to a St. Joseph's yeah. and maybe look elsewhere to build their career. Right. In reality, I think it's staggering yeah. the shift, isn't it? Is. it? It's, it's, it's actually reversed. About 15 years ago, it was 35% would stay here and 65% would leave. Thanks to the work at Campus Philly, there's a mentorship, there's a stickiness. And now 65% of the people who graduate from our 100 plus or minus colleges and universities are actually staying here to start their career. So it's really amazing. It is amazing. So what that leads to my final point, Matt, is this. I'm a firm believer in the power of the private sector. Mm -hmm. But I believe that work in the private sector day in and day out need to recognize that for us to successfully build our client base, for us successfully to change the industry for the better that we choose to be in, we cannot do it without a strong and collaborative partnership with government at all levels. Yeah. And so to the point about what would I like to see, I would like us as a group to build those stronger collaborative relationships at every level of government based on the premise that the private sector is the engine, thus Select Health is part of that engine, the Chamber as a whole is part of that engine to drive growth and successful growth in this region. That's great. Folks, Dan, some people describe Dan Hilferty as a health insurance executive. We know him as so much more. You really are an inspiration. You're really an innovator, and we're thrilled that you're not only leading independence, but you're leading our Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia, and you're leading and inspiring so many other folks in this community to take us to the next level. Thank you for carving out time and your busy schedule to be with us this morning, and thank you all for being part of this conversation with Dan. We're happy to hang out and answer some additional questions, but our formal program is concluding, and I'm really appreciative, Dan, that you're part of our Select Greater Philadelphia initiative and this installment of Growing Greater Philadelphia. Our Growing Greater Philadelphia podcast is brought to us by many of our investors and partners, including Stradley Ronin. They're a proud investor of Select Greater Philadelphia, and their more than 200 attorneys represent private and public companies in everything from sophisticated corporate transactions to complex litigation. You can learn more at stradley.com. And by Independence Blue Cross, a leading health insurance company offering health plans from managed care, Medicare, and Medicaid. And they have over 10,000 dedicated employees right here in Greater Philadelphia. You can learn more about Independence Blue Cross at ibx.com. Check out all of our podcasts and be sure to tune in Friday mornings, 5 a.m., Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Thanks for listening to Growing Greater Philadelphia. Listen to the 48 Hours Podcast on demand. Real people, real crimes, real life drama. 48 Hours investigates the most intriguing crime and justice cases. Investigators discovered Brown chained up like a dog. We can hear the girl yelling for help. CBS News is bringing investigative reporting and impact journalism. You have this toxic love triangle. It was a crime that rocked this upscale community. The 48 Hours Podcast. This case was a true whodunit. Download and subscribe on the new Radio.com app or wherever else you get your podcast.